We're going to pray now, and we're going to pray in English and Spanish. So I'll say it in English, and then I'll say it in Spanish. And you'll, you'll have to forgive my, my uh, hopefully decent attempt at Spanish. The, the reason we do this is a way of expressing um, our beautiful diversity of the community here that comes to worship God, as well as the beauty of the community around the world that speaks lots of different languages in coming to worship the God revealed in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today in both gratitude and brokenness. Señor, venimos a ti hoy en ambos agradecimiento y dependencia. We are deeply grateful for your goodness, provision, glorious creation, and steadfast love. Estamos profundamente agradecidos por su bondad, provisión, creación gloriosa y amor constante. We also come in deep need personally, and globally. También tenemos una gran necesidad personal y global. Lord, have mercy on us and lead us in your ways of righteousness, justice, and love in both word and deed. Señor, ten piedad de nosotros y llévanos en tus caminos de justicia y amor, ambos en palabras como en hechos. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Oramos en el nombre de Jesucristo. Amen. Good morning. Um, that was kind of weak, y'all. Good morning. Uh, this morning, our passage comes from the book of Mark, chapter 5, starting in verse 24. So let me read this word for us this morning. A large crowd followed Jesus and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from a flow of blood for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and she was no better but rather grew worse. And she heard about Jesus and so she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately, her flow of blood stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone out of him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, I want to talk about what Christians should do with hopelessness. With hopelessness. And I'm not just bringing that up because my beloved Chicago Cubs did not make the playoffs after leading their division for most of the season. No, 
because I think it's actually a really important question for us to think about. And it's one that's been haunting me since I read a book last spring by a woman named Austin Channing Brown. This morning, or last spring, we invited Austin to come to our campus and to speak. Austin Channing Brown is a well-known writer who reflects on race in America and in the church. And in her book, I'm Still Here, which I would recommend to you, Austin ends the whole book by talking about feeling hopeless. When she looks at her experience as a black woman in America and in the church trying to navigate life and faith and the future, at the end of the day, more often than not, she says she feels hopeless, which is a hard word for Christians to swallow. But this is what she says. She says, the persistence of racism in America, individual and also societal, is altogether overwhelming. And so hope for me has died a thousand deaths. She goes on to give these examples. I hoped that a friend would be an ally for life, but hope died. I'd hoped I'd be treated with the full respect I deserve in my job, but hope died. I hoped that racist policies would change, but hope died. I hoped that history would stop repeating itself. I hoped that things would be better for my children, but hope died. And then she asks this question. What is left when hope is gone? What is left when the source of my hope has failed? Which is a fascinating question to me. And like I said, it's been haunting me. And it's one that I bet some of us can resonate with on some level in some situations. And this is the question, a similar sort of question that our story actually stands on this morning. So already in the book of Mark, we've seen that Jesus is doing a lot of miracles, right? He's casting out demons, he's healing diseases, he's helping the lame to walk, the blind to see, the sick to be made well. And as he does these things, these miracles, people start to notice, right? They start to pay attention and they start to be amazed. I would too. I mean, wouldn't you if you saw some of these miracles happen? I'd be curious, I'd be wanting to see more. Did that really just happen? Will he do that again, right? And so as he becomes more and more well-known for these miracles, huge masses of people begin to follow him, waiting and watching for the next miracle. Well, one day, Jesus is with a father, uh, and they're on their way to one of these miracle stories. A little, his, his father's little girl is near death, and so they're walking down the road to go meet her and to, and to perform this, this miracle. And so there's a big crowd that's following them, right? This big crowd on one of these very small, narrow, first-century streets, and everyone is trying to stay as close to the action and as close to the drama as possible. And there's some pushing, and there's some shoving, and there's some shouting, 
probably not unlike Saga on Noon on French Dip Friday. Right, shoulders are pushed up next to you, there are people tripping behind you so you feel someone's hand on your back and you're trying not to trip over the person in front of you and you're yelling just to be heard by the person standing next to you and it's crazy, right? And Mark is narrating this loud, pushy crowd scene for us. And he kind of pans across this rambunctious crowd and then he zooms in on the anxious face of an unnamed unknown woman who's kind of being tossed around by this crowd and the sound of the crowd fades and the voice of this woman's inner thoughts comes to us audibly this woman had been suffering from a flow of blood a period that didn't just last a couple of days like most of us women have to deal with every month or even a couple of weeks which would have been a cause for concern in and of itself, this woman's bleeding lasted 12 long years. And at the beginning, when this unusual thing continued on, she said to herself, I gotta fix this. And so I gotta see a doctor or something. So she found this physician who tried to help her, maybe even attempted some procedure or offered some medicine, but it didn't work. Only cost her a lot of money and made the situation worse, actually. And so she went to a different doctor and tried again and again and again and again for 12 years. And every time, She hoped for a cure, and every time, hope died. She was feeling hopeless, out of options. So what does she do? She looks up, and she sees this crowd around Jesus that's buzzing about some miracle healing that he's about to do, and she thinks to herself, why not me? What what if Jesus could heal me? What if, I, what if I just touch his clothes, right? He, he doesn't even have to know. Maybe if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And so she says, why not? And she pushes her way forward, reaches out, and touches Jesus' robes. And here's the craziest thing. It worked. She feels the bleeding stop. And her body, after 12 years of tension, finally relaxes, and as she sits in this secret miracle, the reality of what just happened washes over her, and her hand begins to shake. She starts to tremble, and as the reality of who just made this happen washes over her, she's overcome with fear, with a holy fear a holy fear that comes when you've been touched by the presence of the holy God. Well, the crowd doesn't even notice, but Jesus notices immediately, or at least in a Marvel comic sort of way, scripture says that he notices power had gone out of him, right? That healing had gone out of him, and so he stops the whole parade on this tiny, narrow, first century street, and he asks, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? And his disciples, who were probably literally touching his clothes as Jesus asks this, they uh, think this is an absurd question, 
right? And, and, and they, you know, they want to be like, Jesus, I don't want to tell you that that's a stupid question because you're Jesus, but that's a stupid question, right? <laughs> you notice all the people who are pressing in on you, right? We're all touching your clothes. Well, Jesus pays them no mind, and he starts looking around for himself, surveying the crowd. And this woman, whose hopeless body has now been healed, who's still gripped with fear and trembling that's come over her after what just happened, hears Jesus call out to her. And she goes up to Jesus and she falls on the ground in front of him. And she starts to spew out the whole story. Now the text doesn't say this, but in my imagination, as she's going on and on, I was bleeding for 12 years and I went to see all these doctors and I totally ran out of money and I thought maybe you could heal me if I just touch your clothes and I did and you did. And Jesus then, in my imagination, kneels down to where she's at on the ground and lifts her chin up so that they are looking at each other eye to eye And in the only time in scripture where Jesus calls a woman daughter, he says to her tenderly, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You see, this woman, she wanted a cure for her disease. She wanted a fix for her problem a solution for her suffering, and all she could think to do was just show up by Jesus, right? If I just show up in chapel, if I just show up in church, maybe this will end. Maybe I could ask God to make it stop. Maybe God doesn't even have to notice me, right? Now, the cool thing is that Jesus wanted to give that to her, right? He wanted to restore her and to heal her, And so he does, and her suffering ends. She's healed, but more than just a cure, Jesus wanted an encounter with her. He says, don't just come and ask for the cure and leave. I want to know you. I want to meet you face to face. I want you to feel known by me. Now, Austin Channing Brown ends her book by talking about coming to peace with this hopelessness that she feels. And she says, I've learned not to fear the death of hope. The death of hope begins in a fury, ferocious as a wildfire, and at first it seems it will destroy everything in its vicinity, this hopelessness. But in the midst of all this fury, she writes, I'm forced to find my center. What is left when hope is gone? When my source of hope has failed? She says, each death of hope is painful and costly. But in the morning, as I mourn these disappointments, that continually come up in the morning, there always arises new clarity about the world, about the church, about myself, and this is the part to pay attention to, and there always arises new clarity about God. And in that, there is new life and renewal. 
In other words, when I'm longing for a cure, when I keep being disappointed, and when I feel hopeless, I bring that to the feet of Jesus. I stand there in the shadow of hope. And even if I might not find a cure on this side of heaven, still at that moment, at the feet of Jesus, I encounter God. And in that moment, I find new life to keep going, to keep going. And that, friends, changes everything. I invite the band to come back up, and I want to ask you one question. What do we do with hopelessness in the news, in a relationship, in an empty bank account, or a diagnosis that you've got to learn to live with? We bring that to the feet of Jesus, and we look him in the eye, because he wants our suffering to end. He wants the wrongs to be made right. But more than that, he wants to meet us in the middle of it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Friends, go out into the world looking for, praying for, working for healing. But as you do that, would you meet with Jesus Christ? Amen? Amen. Amen. Go in peace.